Yo, what is going on, baby? Nathan Kennedy, The New Money Podcast. Welcome to another New Money Movement. I'm back from New York. Okay, it was crazy, bro. If you've never been to New York, like I never had been, uh, you're missing out because it's uh, fucking sweet there. Uh, thank you guys so, so much for tuning in. I uh, got a lot of, a lot of good, juicy, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's juicy. I always think the economy is juicy. I've said juicy a little too much and it's getting weird, but uh, yeah, thank you guys for, for coming in. We do have quite a few stories that uh, are pretty interesting to me. And, and the one I really want to start with is not really that much of a story, but just sort of like a market update. So the market had a little bit of a bounce last week, finished May roughly flat. I think it was like slightly up like 0.18% up or something like that. And you know, it, it is an encouraging sign. Some people, you know, are saying that it might be the sign that we're kind of bouncing along the bottom and it'll start to rally. You know, some folks are saying it's it's what's called a, a dead cat bounce. Basically, uh, you know, as, as the market's going down, it bounces up a bit and then bang, you know, it goes right back down. And that's just generally what it is um, in, in some bear markets. But I mean, people were saying in 2020 that the sort of rebound was a dead cat bounce. And lo and behold, it absolutely was not. And the full force of the Fed had backed that. But now it is is, is going the opposite direction. Uh, and in June, we I mean, it's June 1st, so we'll find out sort of what the Fed, you know, what the implication or not implication, rather the effect of them, you know, stopping with the the stimulus and, and all of that jazz. And and if they, act, you know, as they start to actually pull liquidity out of the market, what that's going to do. And I feel like, you know, I was listening to something the other day where that's, you know, the person just saying, I'm not, I, I have no idea what's going to happen until that happens. Cause it's such a, it's the way, you know, it's the elephant in the room in terms of, you know, the outlook, right? So really interesting stuff, but there are very encouraging things that are, you know, showing that this might be, you know, uh, this might be along the bottom. You know, corporate executives have bought tons and tons of share in their companies at the rate that is has not been seen since uh, the pandemic. And, you know, to Wall Street, that's a really, really encouraging sign for the US stock market. I mean, when you have executives uh, that have confidence in their stock and they're doubling down, you know, insider sort of action, uh, it, it is an encouraging thing because they do have sort of outlook, uh, you know, a year, two, three years out. And if they're, you know, doubling down, investing their their interest in, in their company uh, that much more and, it, and it's somewhat prevalent and if it's if it's one of the highest uh, levels it's been in a while like that's that's great news i mean that that's very encouraging because they're they're bullish on their companies and if if the entire you know the majority of the market and their executives are bullish then that, that's a good sign that's a good sign and then also what i love seeing was there was a, a bank rate survey where younger investors are actually you know really buying the dip i mean they're buying up they're they're starting to see these levels resilient i think gen z investors with the biggest demographic than millennials, and you know, you, you could you could argue that it's because we weren't living through 08 as much. You know, we weren't investing through 08. We weren't investing through the dot com crash. But I mean, we're a resilient bunch. I mean, the market to date is down roughly 14, 15 percent, and I think you know at these levels it's it's fantastic. Uh, and I personally, you know, I again I don't love you know telling you guys what to do or how to do it. And I give you tips, and it's like you're on your own kind of deal. But I would argue that I don't see the market sliding another 20, 30 percent 
right? Tech has gotten, you know, reset. Everything I feel like has been really reset. The energy sector, uh, I think it made up, you know, something like 1%, 2% of the S&P, and now it's back up to five, six. So tech has taken quite a bit of a hit. The energy sector, you know, oil and other stocks are really buoying the market, making it, you know, kind of reasserting themselves. And I mean, thank thank God that they're there because the market would be down probably 25, 30% if, if uh, the energy sector was getting uh, hit that hard as well. But roughly speaking, I, I think there's these are some encouraging signs. There's other, there's other signs as well. Like I've been saying for weeks, I think inflation is tapering off in terms of the rate of change. I think it's gonna start to pull around. Uh, there was another thing where the lumber prices, which is one of, the, one of those commodities that was just absolutely bonkers in terms of the price, right? I think prices shed more than 50% since March when the Fed began raising borrowing costs. You know, I, I think that's sort of slowing down this the sort of housing boom. I mean, it a little bit. I mean, there, there has been a little bit of a pullback in the real estate markets because of the rates. And personally, I was a little bit skeptical. I was a little bit skeptical of the, of, of, you know, because in economic textbooks, you would say that, yeah, you raise rates, you increase borrowing costs, you know, people buy less homes, it's, it's less affordable. And and I was sort of like, yeah, but the market's so crazy. I don't know how significant of an effect that's going to have. And it's really, it is starting to have an effect. Uh, but back to the sort of lumber, lumber story. So lumber futures for July delivered down 52% from the high in early March, which is, I mean, a good thing uh, that is cheap because it's, it was just absolutely insane. And there's, you know, other commodities as well that are, you know, still been soaring, but there are other commodities that have sort of cooled off a bit as rates have started to increase. I think, you know, I'd argue that we could be in somewhat of a recession right now. You know, there was, a, you know, the last quarter negative growth, probably going to be, you know, it might be negative growth, but Regardless, if we are in a recession, right as of right now, I think it's it's mild. You know, this isn't the GFC, this isn't the Great Depression, right? It's 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 sort of a pullback. It's a healthy correction. You know, people are coming back down to earth and resetting. But I'm still very, you know, I'm I'm bullish. I'm I'm a perma bull. You know, I, you know, very optimistic. I try to be realistic but optimistic. And I always encourage folks to buy through it and continue to buy through it. So that is sort of the market update for this week. Again you know, sort of around the economy, President Biden and Jerome Powell, the, the Federal Reserve had met, uh, I think it was just more a photo op than anything. But really, I guess it's just to show that they're working in tandem with each other, you know, to to sort of address inflation and really just just signal that they that this is top of mind for Joe Biden and for the White House. And, that, and that's similar to, you know, Canada and, and other established uh, first world sort of countries that are dealing with this at a, a significant way. I mean, I'd argue actually, I, you know, not just for like every, every, a lot of countries, not just first world, third world countries. I, you know, it's funny, you know, with, is that a politically incorrect term to say first and third world countries? I feel like I'm, I, I missed the boat on that. I, there's just something in my head is just like, I feel like that's politically incorrect to say that, but so I apologize if that's true. If I'm if I'm completely making that up, then I apologize. <laughs> but I literally just think of it like, oh god, man, this shit moves so fast. I don't know if that I'm offending anyone, so I apologize. But yeah, I mean, listen, I think in let's say okay, let's I think the better way to say it, developed economies, they're they're signaling that they're working on this inflation thing, and I think it's a it's a it's a good signal um, because usually monetary and fiscal policy 
are sort of segmented and, and that's by design. But, you know, I think in, in 08, I, I know just from just from sort of the details of how closely the White House was working with the Federal Reserve and how, you know, they were, you know, they were doing different things, but man, they were working together on that thing. And so when things really get out of hand, you have to, you know, move as one. Uh, and so it's, it's good to see that. And I think things will cool off probably in a mild recession, but nothing, nothing too insane in, in my opinion. If you guys are looking for a new credit card, that's awesome and gives you great cash back. You're looking for a fantastic savings account that'll give you a good yield, a good return on your money for, I mean, it's not going to give you 10%, but it'll give you something. Then you guys need to check out Neo Financial. They are a proud sponsor of the show uh, and they've supported your boy for some time. And so uh, I would love for you guys to check out some of the products. They are, in my opinion, one of the best things in fintech in Canada right now, uh, especially for young Canadians. Uh, and so, you know, and who knows, maybe American soon, but uh, right now Canadians. So if you guys are interested at all in getting a better credit card, better savings account, better uh, want to build a credit with their credit builder, check out the link in the description. I'm telling y'all, you will not regret it. So there was also some studies that came out on just wages in general for for white collar jobs, and you know it's it, it is interesting to see uh, how much even even with all these, these hiring freezes and everything, how much uh, people are making at some of these companies. I mean, more than 140 companies in the S and P, including Netflix, uh, Nucor, which is which is a steel maker. The median worker was paid at least the median worker, like the the middle of the pack worker was paid at least 100K, you know, over six, over 6K, right? And, you know, there are some ones that are, you know, a little bit less like Walmart, Home Depot, et cetera. But, uh, you know, the average, I think the median person at Google makes over 250K, 200K, 250K, something like that. The median worker at Google or Alphabet or any, any you know, Alphabet company, right? Uh, that that's that's remarkable and and it is you know i think another thing you know we're seeing is that companies are doing hiring freezes like we've talked about but they are increasing comp uh, it's it's almost as if I, I saw this this awesome thing on uh, linkedin where it's like it's almost as if taking care of your people is is cheaper than hiring somebody new you know it's a lot more money not only the compensation of the you know new employee and and you know having to keep up with the market it's obviously going to be a lot more than you know retaining talent but then also the lost productivity from the people that have to hire them uh, and, and the different issues like that so keeping a strong close-knit team reducing turnover is generally a good strong thing for a business and you're going to see you know people being less like like less like they don't want to leave as much because they're seeing all these the slowdown around them uh, there's going to be less hopping and you know there's going to be you know more so you know retention efforts i, I think for, by these companies to just strengthen and double down on their folks because you know they know that they're more confident that they're going to stay and things like that. Uh, so it's that's also a good sign to see that people are doing well, regardless, the economy isn't tanking. I mean, there's still strong labor, strong jobs being added across, you know, developed nations and, and things of that sort. And yes, there are some issues, but like, guys, it's it's not doomsday. It's, it's quite mild. Uh, moving to Russia oil, actually, we haven't talked about Russia a while on the show. 
But it looks like the European Union has kinda taken a stand against Russian oil. Now, you know, for context, we, we talked about it a few months ago, but uh, the EU heavily, heavily, heavily relies on Russia uh, for, for energy, uh, namely oil. Uh, and it looks like they're trying to figure out an oil ban per the New York Times. So 29% of the EU's oil imports come from Russia, leaving, you know, the, like they're sort of like a, they're between a rock and a hard place. Russia, Ukraine issues are, are continuing to escalate. I mean, it's it's still it's still going on. I think it just hit a hundred fucking days. Like this thing, people forget that thing has been going on in the background. People moved on. Nobody's talking about Russia, Ukraine anymore. It's still happening. Uh, leaders denounced Russia's actions through aggressive sanctions, which were, were heavy, heavy. People were talking about nuclear war. Like it was it was crazy in February. This thing hasn't stopped. They're they're continuing to fight. But I mean, Ukraine has continued. I mean. You know, we've the media's forgot about it, but these countries are still working like crazy against this problem and and, and really weakening uh, Russia and emboldening uh, Ukraine. A lot of U European Union leaders were denouncing Russia's actions, but they need that oil, right? And I think they were still, you know, for the past few months, they're still spending spending over twenty three billion dollars or, or so per month on crude oil, and so. I basically they're just figuring out how the hell do we get out of Russia and what nations can we go to if the oil ban passes Russia will still supply the EU with 40% of its liquefied natural gas which is a fossil fuel for heating and power generation but again I think this is that sort of diversification away from Russia and and Russia like what is Russia's long-term endgame here with this fucking thing in Ukraine I mean they are on the blacklist of, of countries for, for decades, in my opinion. Like, I, I think you could argue this the last 10, 20 years, there'll be, there's be sort of like a, the, the black sheep, so to speak, uh, you know, the not good, not good. Like, how do you maintain and become and, and thrive as a, as a superpower if you don't have strong ties with other strong nations, right? I mean, or if you don't have a dominant position or they don't rely on you, right for significant things because i think if the eu figures out how to you know get you know if canada figures out how to get you know some more exports or if there's some way i really don't know much about this you know oil energy i don't know the logistics don't come for me if you live work in that space but if other nations can figure out how to fill the void i mean you know that's 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 what china's biggest thing is it's like they run the world economy they've, they've they're in so many different places there they they so many countries rely on them right the u.s included and though there is tension there's there's billions and billions you know trillions you could even say of business that's done between you know china and and, and its other other nations right so you know russia being in this spot that they are I, I just i don't understand what this whole thing was it seems stupid then it seems even stupider now I don't know how the you know the nation's going to thrive you know because of this Ukraine you know obviously I think is the world's darling and it will come out of this and they'll, there's a huge relief packages that are coming their way and it's it's terrible you know what the people of the Ukrainian people have had to go through but Ukraine is going to get through this this war will end Ukraine will have support behind it but Russia I mean god you are on an island
And the last sort of story I have for you guys is around uh, the U.S. and Taiwan. So they're really starting to increase their ties. Uh, and it looks like the Biden administration is forging closer economic ties with Taiwan. Uh, you know, this basically because of growing tensions with China. They really want to. And, you know, we talked about the Apple story last week on how, you know, some some American uh, companies are maybe looking to other places for production. Right. And so I believe China you know, recognizes Taiwan as a, as a part of China. Taiwan would say otherwise from my, my understanding, but it looks like they want to address technology trade and investment, citing the importance of Taiwan as a leading supplier of advanced semiconductors. So uh, T, I forget what it's called, but there's a massive uh, semiconductor company, um, TF, not TSA, T, I can't remember, but they're huge. They're a massive, massive company. And then, you know, Taiwan is a massive, you know, supplier for a, a lot of nations, a lot of businesses done in Taiwan. And so, you know, it's a, they're an important partner to the U.S. and, and especially for semiconductors uh, and, and, to, and to Canada and just around the world. But um, again, Washington looks like, you know, it, it is, is distancing itself bit by bit with China. And so, you know, it looks like, I mean, Biden said like last month that the U.S. would intervene if China invaded Taiwan. I mean, um, it looks as though that Ch China was basically like, bro, the U.S. can't stop us. Nobody can stop us. I think what they said exactly was no forces the U.S. included can hold back the Chinese people's endeavor to reuni re reunify the nation. So it's like China's basically saying, bro, if you're serious about that, like we don't give a fuck. Like we're going to pull up and there's nothing you can do about it. And I mean... God, a Chinese-American war. Like, I don't even want to know what that would look like, right? Like, I just, I just don't even want to entertain that. But yes, there are always these sort of, you know, it feels like this is like new and like the things are escalating. But I feel like there's always a sort of tension among these giants. I mean, you know, it, it, I'm. Yeah, there's always there's always tension around, uh, you know, people jostling for the top spot. I think China is definitely coming for the U.S. in terms of the dominant country in the world. And uh, I think the U.S. is giving up a lot of ground. I mean, you know, I, I don't really think the U.S. immigration policies are, are all that friendly. I know of COVID and things like that. But, you know, the U.S., what makes the U.S. the U.S. to me is is the immigrants and the people that come and, and the, the talent and the attractive nature of what they offer to the best of the best in the world. You know, it's it's the land of opportunity, and so to shut your doors is is to limit your your talent pool, right? And why would you do such a thing, right? But that is all I have for you guys this week. Thank you so so much for tuning in. I really appreciate y'all, boy. I love y'all, but for now, I'm out. This mother. Peace.